Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. We have almost reached the halfway point of the season. Hard to believe that. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago that I was in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days. But here we are, Illinois, and then the bye week. Certainly an interesting Illinois matchup. And I figured it'd be a good time to really delve into your questions. So dedicating this episode to that and got a lot of great questions from our text message group subscribers. You can join them for free at joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. Again, that is joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. So I was mentioning Illinois being an interesting matchup and first question from Norman, really like this question. How has Bielma become so quickly successful at Illinois? Did he bring qualified assistance into the program? Was there a base of talent in place when he assumed the head coaching job? And for those who haven't been following Illinois too closely, four and one start this year, including a really impressive win against Wisconsin. And that game being Paul Chris' final game coaching at Wisconsin. So really impressive start there after going five and seven in his first season, a respectable result considering it was his first season and at a place like Illinois that hasn't won a bowl game since 2011. And that was the fight hunger bowl. So I'm all for fighting hunger, but not necessarily the most prestigious bowl game there. But to get back to the question, it's a little bit of the all of the above option where he's had success with talent that's been there. Chase Brown, the running back who's leading the country in rushing yards is a great example right there. He's had success with the transfer portal as well. Tommy DeVito, quarterback, was at Syracuse. The numbers at Syracuse weren't all that impressive, but they've gotten a lot out of them this year. So really a credit to that coaching staff there. And that kind of gets into the qualified assistance. I personally don't know the staff that well, um, but clearly they've been developing players. And you look at what DeVito, as I was just mentioning, has been doing at Illinois that he wasn't doing at Syracuse. So that says a lot. And the thing with head coaches and assistant coaches is a lot of the overall credit goes to the head coach, but a lot of it probably should go to the coordinators and the assistant coaches. I kind of relate it back to my high school orchestra days. Here's your fun, random fact about me. I played the cello in high school, but I kind of compare it to an orchestra where the head coach is kind of the conductor and, you know, you can conduct beautifully, but if you don't have a good first violinist, the overall result probably isn't going to sound that great. So clearly he's had assistants that have performed well so far in their time in Champaign. I was kind of expecting we'd get some questions about coaching changes, and we got exactly that considering the interesting times of Big Ten West. Matt asks, Wisconsin, Nebraska have made coaching changes midseason. What would it take for Iowa to make a coaching change to improve their offense? So Kirk's buyout right now is north of $40 million. So if you want to do the exact math, 
it is six million a year that is guaranteed. Now that's in half a million dollar increments every month. And the contract expires in January of 2030. So if you want to do the math on exactly how many months that would be, you'd probably be looking at if it was a mid-season, which was Matt's question specifically, you'd be looking at maybe a 43 or $44 million, if I'm doing math off the top of my head, million dollar buyout, which we're seeing a lot of big buyouts in college football, but it's really not reasonable to expect a athletic department to pay that much. And that's really where Kirk's latest extension that he signed this past year, right at the end of last season, that makes a difference because that really jolted that buyout number up. And now he really has as close to infinite job security as you could imagine. Now, Infinite job security only goes so far in these days. I think people would have thought Paul Christ had pretty close infinite job security when he hadn't had a full losing season as head coach at Wisconsin. But yeah, I'd say don't hold your breath on that one. And Kirk Ferentz had some interesting comments about Paul Christ being fired. Here's what he had to say. I'm disappointed, but not surprised. Um, you know, I think it's the fifth one this season, right? So that, that you know, the toll's mounted. Ball kind of got rolling last year. Um, you know, I think that, that to me, when I always think of that topic, the first thing, the one big one I remember was uh, USC, first, second week of the year. And my, my question would be if, you know, if it's that bad then, why don't you, you do it a year ago or, you know, half a year ago? But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a world we're living in right now, so I'm not, not surprised but disappointed. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's surprising. It's surprising. Like I said, it's not surprising, but it's surprising. Uh, yeah, you think about the success they've had. But again, I'm, I'm not privy to all the details. I'm not there, so I can't comment on a specific, um, any one specific, although I just brought up USC. That that one kind of caught me off guard at that point just because of the it was week one or two. That that was surprising to me. But what you never know is what's going on behind the scenes. And I, you know, so I don't want to give commentary on one specific situation. Broad base, so I think uh, I think it's just it's kind of like us picking up two schools from the West Coast into the Big Ten. We're just living in different times right now, uh, operating in a different world, and uh, we live in a very reactionary world right now too. That's obvious, and uh, you know the fact that most of expansion's been driven uh, by TV, I believe, you know, at least with that in mind, um, and that that's not. A, I mean, I'm going back ten years there now, so. You know, we, we basically are in the entertainment industry and some things come with that. And I think that's that's kind of what we're seeing. So it's in some ways we're becoming a little bit more like the NFL. I wish we had as many. Uh, I wish we had the structure the NFL had. If that's one wish I I'd, I'd, would make and maybe in the future we will. You know, it's just it's, it's, it's a business we're in and we all know that. I mean, we all signed up for it. We all know that it's just changing. That's all. And in my case, like, yeah, when I signed up, it's way different than it was when I signed up. Um, not as much for maybe some of the more recent guys, but, but again, it's just the world we live in and you'd be naive not to understand it's part of what can happen and do, ha uh, does happen. I, I still, you know, I just go back to my roots. I grew up in a place where, you know, the pro team just happened to hire a guy in 1969 that nobody had heard of. And then they hired another guy 20 years later, nobody had ever heard of. And same thing last time they did it, you know, so it's, they've hired three coaches in 50 years that 
really nobody heard of, and they've done really well, as well as any organization out there. And to, to me, philosophically, the challenge is, is more, like if you're in a competitive endeavor, you understand that it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough to be successful, and it's tough to be at the top. Um, so when you're not, you focus on solutions and working through things rather than just, you know, throwing bodies out and trying, trying again with another. And there's, there's a million teams that have tried that uh, over the last 50 years, and not many of them have had, had a lot of luck getting traction. Look at the teams right now in the NFL. And I, you know, my world's pretty simplistic. Um, the, the best teams in the NFL have had pretty good stability for the most part. There's some exceptions to every rule, but you know, you think of a couple organizations that have won a lot of Super Bowls, and there's pretty good continuity there. And that's, I, I think you got a better chance that way. But you know, that's that's just one person's opinion. And then as for would he make a coaching change midseason with his staff? That question came up in general terms in this week's press conference. And he didn't necessarily rule out doing something like that if the circumstances were necessary, but he hasn't felt like those circumstances have been necessary. So that kind of tells you a lot about how he feels about everyone on this staff. So that maybe answers the assistant coach part of that question right there. And then that's a good segue, too, to Jeff's question, recognizing that Kirk won't get fired with a $40-plus million buyout. Um, so with Barra supposedly being the supervisor for Brian Ferentz, any chance that Brian gets, and he puts in quotes, reassigned by the end of the year? And I wouldn't hold my breath for the day that Kirk Ferentz fires Brian Ferentz and that sentence in itself explains why I think the same applies to I wouldn't hold my breath for the day that Kirk Ferentz would demote Brian Ferentz either family is obviously really important to Kirk Kirk has a lot of job security you could argue more job security than Gary Barta despite Barta technically being Kirk Ferentz's boss so yeah crazier things have happened but I don't think that Kirk would want to demote his son. And some of the conversation too, it's okay. How much of this is Brian doing what Kirk wants him to do and Kirk not having the right plan on offense. So that certainly is a question that you could ask as well. I think if you're going to see Brian make a change or if you're going to see a change happen with Brian, you're more likely to see him take a job maybe in the NFL somewhere or do something that doesn't seem quite like a demotion than that. So then Don was expressing his frustrations about Kirk Ferentz being kind of predictable and when are things really going to change. Predictable could probably mean a couple different things, but if it kind of is going down to a play-calling perspective, some of it is a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation when you don't have an effective running game. They're going to run the ball and end up in third and long situations. And then when you end up in third and long situations, okay, all of a sudden your play calls get to be pretty predictable. So there are certainly ways where you could change things. Obviously, Iowa has had its identity for a while that has had some changes to it but Iowa more or less plays like Iowa 
So I wouldn't be holding my breath for massive overhaul of things either. And especially not mid season where Kirk has talked about in the past where kind of the ball is already in motion. I forgot what exact analogy he used, but how, yeah, wholesale changes aren't going to come after the season's already underway. Things are already rolling. And then some other comments I see bringing up the nepotism word that always comes up when you have head coach and coordinator as father and son and when the results don't turn out well. Um, But then Walter asks, how are Iowa's other quarterbacks progressing? A lot of other programs offer at least some access to practice. Iowa does not. So it's hard to say definitively, okay, this is how well Alex Padilla is doing. Okay, this is how well Joe Labus is doing. True freshman Carson May did this on the scout team or whatever. We'll hear from Brian Ferentz next week. Obviously, he coaches quarterbacks now instead of tight ends. So he might have some insights to share there. But I think we're probably going to see Spencer Petrus short of an injury for this season. If Kirk wasn't going to make the change when he's completing less than half his passes against South Dakota State, probably not going to see a change when he's completing more than two-thirds of his passes against the number four team in the country. Then Sam asks, fill in the blank, another question that I really like, fill in the blank, if Iowa's offense is going to be successful against Illinois, it needs to do blank. Perfect answer in a perfect world where the sun was shining, the Brewers didn't trade Josh Hader, so they'd be in the playoffs. Perfect answer in perfect world would be run the ball effectively, but I don't know how realistic that would be against this Illinois defense that has been so good at stopping the run. Like the craziest stat is from the Illinois-Wisconsin game. Wisconsin, a team that has Braylon Allen, who Iowa fans know very well from last year what Braylon Allen can do. They had two rushing yards on 24 attempts. And obviously the five sacks for Graham Burtz play into that, but still a really, so I don't think you can realistically say run the ball effectively. I think the more realistic answer in terms of what they need to do and can do to be successful against Illinois is to have some kind of passing game that keeps Illinois' defense honest, particularly if you get something going downfield, where then Illinois can't be quite as much run-focused. Graham Mertz really didn't beat Illinois last week, where they kind of almost dared him to beat him. And you look at his numbers, and they weren't absolutely horrific, but. It didn't win the game for Wisconsin by any means. Completing 53% of his passes for 206 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So I think you have to have a good game here from Spencer Petrus. You have to get some protection for him first. He took a lot of hits against Michigan. 
So that's a question, especially when, as I mentioned earlier, Graham Burtz went down five times. So this is a very capable Illinois pass rush as well. So that'll be, I think, the biggest key on that side of the ball in terms of the Iowa defense against the Illinois offense. The biggest thing by far is, yeah, you have to stop Chase Brown. Like, it's as simple as that. If he gets going, he's a really talented running back who's quick, elusive, can get a lot of yards after contact. So that's another thing there. Kind of going off on a little bit of a side tangent here from the question, but... Patrick asks, how exactly do you see the Iowa offense improving when it still ranks near the bottom nationally? And I think improving is a relative word. I think even Kirk Ferentz will say that there's a need to grow faster. And Spencer Petras said similar on Saturday after the loss to Michigan. The other interesting thing about that is somebody asked in the press conference, how do you get a team to grow faster? And Kurt said that he wishes he knew. So, you know, you need to see a faster improvement for this offense for them to be in the Big Ten West title hunt. I think you can still, with this level of efficiency, squeak by to a bowl game, maybe, but it won't look pretty in the process. And I don't think you're going to see a dramatic improvement where they're going to go from 130th to 70th. I think you could see incremental growth, but incremental growth can only go so far when you've got number three Ohio State in a couple of weeks. And you have Purdue and Minnesota teams that could be interesting. And who knows what to expect with Wisconsin. So yeah, bottom line, put a little bit of an asterisk on improving. You know, it technically went up from 131st to 130th in total offense, but that's really not saying a lot. Then Eric asks a really interesting question. Which offensive line rotation do you think has been the best? Also, where has Plum been? Haven't seen him much and thought he'd be one of the better linemen. So I had to go back a little bit more into my notes on this one. Obviously, with center, left tackle, and right tackle, we haven't seen many changes. And then in terms of the two guard spots, if I had to pick who would be probably the two best in that, probably would say, and it's a little difficult to evaluate because, okay, we saw more of Tyler Ellisbury this week against Michigan, but also it's a little bit of a harder sample size when you're going up against Michigan versus going up against Rutgers or Nevada. But I'd say I liked Tyler Ellsbury as left guard. I think I've thought for a while that he's probably one of the, at least one of the six best or seven best offensive linemen, if not one of the five best. So he saw some time at left tackle and I thought there was some promise there for right tackle, Bo Stevens. I think has been probably their best option, but nobody's been perfect by any means. This offensive line still has a long way to grow. I think the tape showed that in a lot of these games and the offense in general has a long ways to grow when in two of their three wins, 
the defense outscored the offense, that's not really a sustainable way to win games. Another point that I wanted to bring up that didn't get asked is there are a lot of implications with this Iowa-Illinois game for a game that is early November. You look at it, Illinois could be, granted could, I'll put extra emphasis on that, They could be a contender in the Big Ten West, and oftentimes when Iowa's come up short, they've lost that one critical game against the eventual Big Ten West champion, cough, cough, Wisconsin a couple times, or Nebraska, or excuse me, not Nebraska, Northwestern in 2020. Illinois could be that team that maybe contends. We'll see. Right now it's a six-way tie for first place. But if you lose this game on the flip side, I think you probably aren't looking at a Big Ten West championship team. Granted, I think a lot of people would have said that about Iowa after they lost to Wisconsin in Purdue last year and they ended up pulling it off. But it would be a tough road for a team that has had some offensive questions if they don't win this because you're not expecting to beat Ohio State. You know, especially at Ohio State, that's a really talented team. You look at it, they're going to have the talent advantage at close to every position. Makes it where this is the one really winnable game in this three-game stretch of home against number four Michigan, on the road at Illinois, and then on the road at the Horseshoe with that crowd that I'm looking forward to seeing in terms of just a college football stadium bucket list item, just because it's a unique place, but a tough game nonetheless. Thank you for all the great questions. Mike and I will be back with an edition of Hawk Off the Press after the final score, after Saturday night's game. So might actually be recording it technically on Sunday morning, considering it's another night game. If you see me stopping at every Starbucks Or if you see a car from Iowa stopping at every Starbucks on the way to Champagne, that might be me. On behalf of myself and our producer, Nathan Ford, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. We will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.